Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Man, it's good to see you this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm, Psalm 106. Psalm 106 in the precious Word of God. And, and uh, man, it's good to be in God's house. Amen? Hold on, let's try it again. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. Man, what a day the Lord has made. I don't know about you, but I'm rejoicing. I'm glad in it. And I know some of you are like, man, it's 37 degrees or 38 degrees out there. It was colder when I came. It was very cold this morning. And uh, yes, it feels like winter outside this morning, but it's nice and warm in here. Amen. And uh, so we're going to see what the Lord has for us. You know, someone has said the history of God's past. Now listen to this. The history of God's past is a record of continuous mercies while the history of man's is one of continuous sin. Look at that again. The history of God's past is a record of continuous mercies while the history of man's is one of continuous sin. I don't know about you, but with that type of history, the fact that you and I are still here is a reminder of God's goodness, what Travis was just talking about a minute ago. Amen? You think about it, uh, that's what Thanksgiving's all about. It's all about an opportunity to thank and to praise God for His goodness. And I pray that you'll do that this week. In fact, history reminds us that the very first Thanksgiving was celebrated in 1621 after the uh, Pilgrim's first harvest in America. The feast, now think about this, the feast surrounding this first harvest was said to have lasted three days. That's a lot of turkey. That's a lot of stuffing. That's a lot of corn. That's a lot of whatever they had in that day is a lot of food going on, a three-day feast. Now, I would encourage you not to have a three-day feast. <laughs> I won't comment as to what will happen if you have a three-day feast. But don't have a three-day feast. But the, the, the history says that it was attended by 90 Native Americans and 53 pilgrims. And since 1863, you fast forward, 1863, Thanksgiving has been celebrated in this country when during the Civil War, then President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. In other words, think about it, in other words, what Abraham Lincoln was declaring was that as a nation, that you and I ought to take time collectively to express our gratitude and our thanks to God. And you know what? He wasn't afraid of being canceled for proclaiming it. I think about John Clayton, a, theo a theologian that you probably don't recognize his name. He was a, he, he's gone on to glory. He was an NFL analyst and an ESPN contributor. And he passed away a few years ago. And here's what John once said about Thanksgiving. He said, Thanksgiving is a time when the world gets to see how blessed and how workable the Christian system is. He said, the emphasis is not on giving or buying. Hello, Black Friday shoppers. The emphasis is not on giving or buying, but on being thankful and expressing our appreciation to God and to one another. This morning as we draw our attention to Scripture, I believe the Lord has a question for each and every one of us to ponder in this place this morning. Whether you're here in person or watching online, I believe the question is legitimate for each and every one of us. And the question is simply this, are you grateful are you grateful? And, and immediately, first, at the first glance of this question and answer, it may no doubt seem simple enough, but I want us to look at what God's Word has to say, and then as we're seeing what God's Word has to say, ask yourself the question throughout our time together. Look with me, beginning in verse number 1 of our text, and the psalmist writes, Praise ye the Lord. 
Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all His praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Verse number 4, he says, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou hast bared unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that today, like no other time before, that you might work into our hearts, that you might speak to us, that your word, as we know, it will go forth and accomplish exactly what you desire. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that through the preaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, they might be drawn unto yourself where they might find the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here who's been struggling with this issue of gratitude. Lord, I pray that you will burden their heart, that they will recommit themselves anew today, that they might see the error of their way and that they might be more grateful as they walk out of this place than they were when they walked in. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you will do, and we do this in the precious name of your Son, and for his sake, we pray amen and amen. Well, obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to realize, no offense, James, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize uh, that we're living in desperate times. We're living in wicked times and, quite honestly, unbelievable times. In fact, to borrow the words of Thomas Paine's clarion call uh, that sparked the revolution back in December of 1775 as Washington's troops were retreating from New York. They were on their way through New Jersey. Thomas Paine said these words. He said, these are the times that try men's souls. That's the time in which we're living in today. But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, are we grateful? Yeah. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Woo! Praise the Lord. You are my favorite. You want to come up here and sit with me the rest of the message. You come up here, man. Just, you can just come up here and be my yes man. Oh, yeah, even pastors need a yes man every once in a while. Oh, yes, are we grateful? Because look at verse number one, how timely that was. Because in verse number one, the Bible says that we should praise the Lord and give thanks to the Lord. Why? Look at verse one. It says because he's good and his mercy endures for how long? Forever and ever and ever, and it just keeps on going and going and going and going. Amen? Oh, God loves you. Jesus loves you this morning. However, I'm not going to uh, 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 pull any different strings. The reality is it can be hard sometimes to be grateful. It can be difficult when the disposition or the temperament of our heart is out of whack. Now, I'm not talking about our heart, as I was saying on Wednesday night, I'm not talking about it as an organ. I'm talking about our heart as the seat of our emotions, our feelings, our moods, our passions. And as we realized Wednesday night, we can become and we are very moody people. Would you agree? Anybody in here moody? I'm looking, nobody's admitted it. I heard a few yeses. <laughs> he said, I'm moody. That's true, we're all moody. In fact, being grateful can be tough sometimes because you and I, we suffer from a similar problem, every one of us. And I can sum it up in just a few words. We are covered with flesh. And the reality is our flesh is weak. Our flesh will fail. Have you ever tried to do something in the arm of the flesh? It is weak, it will fail. The Bible goes on and tells us that our flesh cannot please God. It's, it wars against the spirit. That's what the flesh and the spirit do all the time. In fact, the flesh reaps corruption. That's why as Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says, you and I, the only way that we're going to be grateful people, the only way that we're going to walk in truth is that if we walk in the spirit, not according to the flesh. Unfortunately, the culture in which we live does not promote this biblical lifestyle, but they promote a lifestyle of me, myself, and I. 
Today it seems many have a tendency to grumble and complain when things don't go their way. Others have a tendency to expect things rather than appreciate them. And the reason we expect things rather than we appreciating them is because we come and many times in this country we are living in the land of entitlement. We want everything, we want to have everything, and we want it when we want it, and we want it and how we want it. And when things don't happen according to our plans or wishes, uh, we end up labeling ourselves as victims because everybody's against me. Oh, she didn't love me, he didn't love me, or the world hated me. Guess what? They hated Jesus too. Sadly, this culture of complaint affects us more than we sometimes actually recognize or want to admit. But as followers of Jesus Christ, being ungrateful or disgruntled does not line up with God's grace or generosity. But here's the I digress, because many have figured out a way to hide their, uh, their unthankfulness. You know, they, we hide. We do good. We do good jobs sometimes of hiding our gratitude. And we come up with little coy phrases. And I put some of them here. You may recognize them. We say things like, well, praise the Lord. God's been so good to me, brother. <laughs> All the while, we're angry inside. Oh, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Brother, I'm moving onward and upward. Jesus is my king. Amen, amen, amen. And we say all those things while filled with bravado and phony rhetoric while at our heart we're not satisfied at all. And you know what? Not being satisfied on occasion, that happens to all of us. But that's not the sad thing. The saddest thing is not seeking our satisfaction in Christ alone. See, I may not be satisfied, but instead of seeking my satisfaction in Jesus Christ, what I do is I end up seeking my satisfaction in my job. I seek it in my spouse. I seek it in my family. I seek it in my fun times. Oh, my recreational vehicles. I seek it in my tools. I seek it in my hobbies. I seek it everywhere else except for Jesus. And then we want to know why we struggle with gratitude. So this morning, before we celebrate Thanksgiving... Maybe what we really need to do is reset the disposition of our hearts. Maybe we need to push the reset button, so to speak, so that when you and I say that we're grateful, we'll not only say it, but we'll actually mean it. And I'm going to encourage you. You need to read all of Psalm 106. I only read five verses, and typically when you get around Thanksgiving, pastors will preach a message from verse number one only. Do yourself a favor, read the entire psalm because it reads like a history lesson and reminds us of what was going on. In fact, as children, this passage reminds us that you and I come from a family tree, so to speak, that was filled with discontented, dissatisfied, and ungrateful people. But I believe the Lord can use this psalm to help each and every one of us push that reset button of gratitude, so to speak. So look at verse number one. As we get started, praise the Lord, the Bible says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. So in other words, this verse, this very first verse, is saying that you and I ought to praise Yahweh. In other words, we ought to praise the all-powerful, the all-sovereign, the God, the author of life, the author of salvation. That's who we ought to praise. And it refers to him again. It says, not only praise Yahweh, but we ought to give thanks to Yahweh. Why? Because our sovereign God is a good God. It says his mercy, i.e. his love endures forever. You remember in October, I reminded us, we were talking about walking worthy. But in October, I reminded us that we have been blessed, we've been chosen, we've been adopted, accepted, and redeemed, and reconciled. We've been sealed, and we're headed for heaven, and we can't help it. Man, that's enough to be excited about. Look at verse number 2. Because verse 2 reminds us that our God's acts are so mighty that it is impossible for you and I to fully and completely declare his glory or praise. But let me just say that. Verse number 2 says it's impossible, right? But that shouldn't stop us from trying. We ought to be praising his holy name each and every day. Oh, listen, when life gets tough, when things seem to fall apart or become too tough, we, we, the, the reality is we need to push ourselves and to remind ourselves that our great God is good and that his love, his mercy, and it endures forever. In fact, it'll never, ever go away. 
Bible study hour, I was reminding the folks in there that people let us down, people lie to us, and people leave us, but our God is different. He doesn't just promise good, our God is good. He doesn't simply say He loves us, He actually proved His love. He doesn't always, He doesn't simply save us, He continues to work in and through our lives. It's like that song, He's always working, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. He never stops. He never stops working. He's working. And here's the reality and here's the rub. Since he's sovereign, he makes the decisions. That rubs our fur the wrong way sometimes. Because in my house, I like to make the decisions. But let's not be fooled. I live with the queen mother and the queen. So although I may like to make the decisions, you guys know the reality of life in the home of Pastor Greg. And that reality is that I make very few decisions other than saying, yes, dear. Oh, listen, are we grateful? Because he's never not working. And the starting point, here's the starting point for gratitude. See, this is the lens. We, all of his work is based on his love and his goodness. That's the starting point. That's the lens by which you and I must look through if we are hoping to reset the button of gratitude. By the way, you don't reset the button of gratitude, but maybe through God's word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, God will draw you to do that. He's the one that does that because verse number one says that we ought to be praising the Lord, thanking the Lord, and in essence, we ought to be living for the Lord. By the way, the only way our eyes will look through that type of lens, the type of lens that says God is good and that his mercy endures forever is if we have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Until you know Jesus, you're not going to look through a lens that suggests or recognizes God's goodness. And without his word and his spirit working in our lives, being grateful on an ongoing basis becomes very impossible. Because let's be honest, the natural response to sickness, the natural response to tragedy, hardship, or loss is not typically gratitude, but when we operate from a starting point that says God is good and that his mercy and love endures forever, and the fact that we know that he is working not for our evil, but to give us an expected end, when we operate from that type of lens, then our outlook becomes much better and we start to give him the gratitude that only he deserves. And it sounds simple enough, but I can assure you it's not always easy. You want to know why it's not easy to give thanks and to be grateful? Because stuff happens. Stuff happens. The boss says, guess what? We're laying off 300 workers today and you're number 300. Get home and you got family problems. The neighbor's mad at you because you cut your grass the wrong way or you you cut over into your neighbor's lawn and they're throwing a fit. There's all kind of things that happen. And I'm trying to be a little facetious and keep it lighthearted. But the reality is stuff happens. And there's also another reality that you and I have to be reminded of. And that is that our adversary has a ruined lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't want you to be grateful. He wants you to be hateful. And that's what he does. And the reality is, in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle against principalities and against powers and rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But if we look at this psalm, I think we're going to get some answers to what has plagued God's people in the past. And I believe, if we're honest, it probably still plagues us a little bit today when we ask ourselves the question, am I? See, it's not a question to ask your neighbor. You, I'm asking you to ask the question, Lord, am I a grateful person? If not, Lord, reveal it to me. And so let's take a look. If you're a note taker, I believe, you know, the goal is being grateful, but I believe that our gratitude suffers, number one, when we fail to remember God's goodness. I was just talking about remembering God's goodness as one of the things that stifles gratitude. But it was one of the things that stifled the gratitude of the children of Israel. And look in Psalm 106. Look at verse number 6. Because the psalmist here, he's writing a long time after Moses has led the children of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt. And he says here in verse 6, he says, We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not the wonders of Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Well, what did Psalm 1, the verse 1 say? It said, praise the Lord. 
Give thanks to the Lord for his good, his mercy endures forever. Well, the psalmist here says, listen, our fathers understood not thy wonders. Said, so, see, our fathers who were in Egypt, by the way, this story would have been passed down from generation to generation. And here's what's taking place. The psalmist realizes, whoa, we're just as guilty as our fathers who came out of Egypt and they forgot all of God's goodness. Notice he says, our fathers understood not thy wonders. And so he says, we're guilty of the same exact sins. You think about it, the Hebrew people, they had been slaves for 400 years. God tells Moses, go in, I'm going to use you to lead my children out of Egypt. And God does that. He performs miracle after miracle, 10 to be exact. And he brings them out of Egypt. But once they're freed from their oppression and slavery, the people fail to really think about, they fail to remember God's goodness. And as a result, they get steeped back into rebellion very quickly. They start rebelling against God. By the way, does this ring a bell? See, does our failure to acknowledge or remember God's goodness ring a bell? Because whether or not you're a believer, God has been good to you this morning. You say, well, I'm not a believer. I haven't been chosen. I haven't been blessed. I haven't this. I haven't this, that. Are you breathing? If you're breathing, God has been good to you this morning. Say it, God is good. Because he's been giving you some good breath this morning. By the way, God's good because you're able to be here or you're able to watch online. God's good this morning because every one of you are wearing clothes, and I thank you for that. <laughs> and I'm guessing every one, of, every one in this room has eaten something this week. How about we say God is good? Oh, he is good. You think back, God has been working in our lives. The question, we think back and we see it, but sometimes we forget his goodness. We get busy with the stuff of life. We get busy with all the things that don't go our way. We get busy with what I want, what the world says I should have. And then invariably what we do is instead of remembering God's goodness, all we can do is pick apart all the things that we think we need that we don't have. This was a problem then and this is something that causes our gratitude to suffer now. Number two, our gratitude also suffers when we forget what God has done. You remember God's using Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they're on the run, remember? And you got the army of Egypt, Pharaoh and his army, they're right on their heels. I don't know about you, but if I'm one of, the, one of those coming out of Egypt, and I'm just, I'm just you know, one of the uh, two million that are coming, and I look back and I see Pharaoh and his army coming, I'm thinking one of two things. Either number one, I'm about to die, or number two... They're going to capture me. They're, I'm going to be a hostage and they're going to march me back to Egypt and I'm going to get back, put back into slavery, back into bondage. This is what must have been going through their minds. But in Exodus chapter 14, you know, we see but God. We see one of those but God moments. But God intervenes and he opens up the Red Sea and verse 22 says it this way. It says, the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea upon dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. But here's the deal. Once the Egyptian army sees the Israelites going through the Red Sea, you know what they go? They're like, whoa, we don't know what's going on, but we're going through too. And so verse number 23 says that the Lord, it says that uh, they went in after them into the sea. But God's not done because if you drop down to verse 27 in that passage, you find out the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now here's the deal. Here's the rub. I'm one of the children of Israel, I'm over on the other side, and I look back, and I see that not an Egyptian survives. I see what God has done. Look at verse 12 of Psalm 106. As soon as they see that they have been swallowed up by the Red Sea, notice what Scripture says, then, hold on, just stop a second, you didn't believe when God did all of those miracles in Egypt, that wasn't enough to get your attention? When Moses says, hey, paint the blood over the lentils of the door and God's going to protect your firstborn, that wasn't enough for you? It had to take the Red Sea situation for those to believe. But look at verse 12. It says, then believe they his words and they sang his praise. In other words, realizing that they had nothing to do with the situation or what had just happened, they broke out in a block party. 
Literally, they break out in a block party. I would suggest that they should have had a block party the whole way. But in, I digress, because in Exodus chapter 15, you find out that Moses and all the people, all the people, they start singing of the Lord, and they say this in verse 1, I will sing unto the Lord, he hath triumphed gloriously. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He's my God. Verse number 3, the Lord, he's a man of war. The Lord is his name. Verse 6, thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. They're singing the praises of God on and on. Verse 7, in the greatness of thy excellency, thou hast overthrown them. Verse number 11, oh, guess what, Lord? Who is like unto thee among other gods? Little g. Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Verse number 12, thou stretchest out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed or delivered or set free. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. They're having a party. Because they believe God's words. And what's, I've, I've, we've talked about this passage before. And then here comes Miriam and all the ladies. They come out, they come out with their tambourines. They come out singing. They got their tambourines shaking. They're doing the dance. They're doing all kind of crazy stuff. And verse number 21 of the passage says that they start shouting that the Lord, he hath triumphed gloriously. You say, what's the point? Well, the point is this. The celebration was short-lived because their memory was short-lived. Because look at verse number 13. See, in verse number 12, then believed they his words, and they sang praises unto them. But right away in verse number 13, the very next verse, they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. Not only did they forget what God had just done, but they decided to move ahead without waiting for his direction. In other words, they did what you and I do all the time. They took matters into their own hands. Who here says, I've taken matters into my own hands before? About half of you are honest. The rest of you are like, I'm never raising my hand in a Baptist church. I'm never doing that. They may ask me to serve in the nursery. I'm never volunteering for nothing. That seemed like a voluntary question. See, you know what happens when you and I, when we take matters into our own hands, you know what we're telling God? We're saying we forget that you're able. We have forgotten that you're the one that brought us out. We forgot that you're the one that delivered us. We forgot that you're the one that saves us. We're, we'll, we'll take it from here, God. We got a plan. But see, when we fail to remember his goodness, we soon begin to forget all that he has done. And when we find ourselves much like the children of Israel in the wilderness with no water or food, our first response is usually something very, very different than gratitude. And I'll be honest, I've felt like I've been in the wilderness sometimes without food or water. Have you ever been there? You feel like you're wandering in the wilderness. You want to know sometimes I believe we wander in the wilderness because we lack gratitude. Not only do we fail to remember his goodness or forget what he's done, but thirdly, I think gratitude suffers when we fixate on what we want. Look at verse number 14 and 15. It says, But they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them to their request. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. If you know the history of the Israelites, then you know that they were never satisfied. They always wanted more, more, more. And sadly, they give in and they are craving and they put God to the test. In fact, if you go to Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 22, it says that the children of Israel uh, tempted God 10 times. But in that verse, it also says that they never hearkened or paid attention to God's voice. Have you ever done that? Have you said, God, I, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And God's trying to speak to us, and yet we don't hearken to his voice. We're begging him to do things, and yet we don't listen to what he's telling us to do. Instead of paying attention to what God had to say, they moaned and they groaned and they threw a fit. Anybody here ever moaned and groaned? Anybody ever throw a fit? By the way, you know, expressing a need is one thing. 
expressing a need is one thing, but we got to be careful of our heart attitude when we express our need. Because see, in Exodus chapter 16, they're only about, at this moment, by the way, they're only about three days after this little celebration, they're crying for water, and then they go down to Mara, and the water's bitter, and, and you can read that whole passage. But when you get to Exodus chapter 16, you're about 45 days out from coming out of Egypt, right? You're thinking, man, we've been there 400 years. We're only about 45 days out. But in Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 2, it says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured. When you say that word, you got to say it like that, murmured. They murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would God, would God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh plots and when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You're only about a month and a half into this journey and you're already mumbling and grumbling and moaning and you're throwing a fit. What happened to last month when you turned around and you saw the entire Egyptian army in the midst of the Red Sea, gone forever? Instead of remembering God's goodness and his ability to provide mighty acts, they did what we temp sometimes do, what we have a tendency to do. They fixated on the problem rather than the solution. Listen, if there's a problem, be a part of the solution, not make the problem bigger. But that's what the children of Israel did. And sometimes we're guilty of doing the same thing. When we do, gratitude can be hard to find. I put here, when our desire and craving for something becomes more important and greater than our craving for God, we're in big trouble. We are in big trouble. The absurdity of the Hebrew people is not finished yet. It's just getting ramped up. Because by the time, remember we're in Exodus 16, by the time you get over to Exodus chapter 32, you remember God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai. He's going to have a little chit-chat with his man. And so Moses goes up, but the people get disgruntled. They're upset because Moses is taking too long. Where is he? Why isn't he back down? What has he got us sitting out here in the wilderness doing nothing? What are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? Well, oh, Aaron, he's not real concerned because he's obviously taking a nap. He's laying down sleeping. He's taking a little siesta. He's not really worried about the situation. But in Exodus chapter 32, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And when the people saw Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and they said, Up! In other words, they said, Get up. I kind of like it that way. Came in and they said, get up, boy. Get up, like a Western. Get up, boy. Watch what they said. Make us, are you kidding me? Make us gods. Hold on a second. Why don't you all go make your own gods? No, get up, Aaron. Make us gods. Right? It says, get up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we, do not, we, we what not what has become of him. So instead of doing what God says to do, the people decide to do what they want to do and things get ugly. Fun fact, by the way, getting what we want never leads to a life of gratitude. It only leads to a life of wanting more. As soon as God gives you what you want, then you're wanting something else. God, if you'll just give me... God, just give me, God, I love Crystal so much. She's got the hand out, no player. God, I love this job so much. God, I love this house so much. Again, I'm being facetious, but we do that sometimes. But I put in my notes, when our complete trust, when our confidence and our dependence is on the Lord. He has a way of enabling us to be grateful. Even when we don't get the things that we fixate on. See, the children of Israel, they had failed to remember God's goodness. They, they, had, uh, they were focusing. They forgot to focus. They forgot, to, forgot all the things that he had done. And, and they started fixating on what they wanted in the moment. They're like, listen, he's, 
He's asleep. Get up and make us gods that will go before us. And you know how it turned out. But I also see here that our gratitude suffers when we focus on fear. We live in a lie. We, we live in a time when a lot of people are walking around in fear instead of faith. We're walking around. By the way, if you're walking in fear, you're walking by sight, not faith. That's, that's what the devil wants. He wants us to walk by sight, not by faith. And so when we walk in fear, we are walking by sight. And this is exactly what the children of Israel are doing. Look at verse 24. It says, yea, they despised the pleasant land and believed not his word. What pleasant land are we talking about? We're talking about the promised land. They just, remember, God said, I've given you this promised land. And the Bible says they didn't believe, they, they despised it. But murmured, look at verse 25, they murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Here we go again. They're not listening. They're not paying attention to what God is trying to say. This is referring to that time when Moses sends Joshua and Caleb into the promised land with the other representatives of the tribes of Israel and they go in there for 40 days. You remember, they go in for 40 days, they check out the land and they come back and they're carrying the grapes of Israel, right? And they're like, oh, we, oh, it's a great time. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they come to Moses and they give him the report in Numbers chapter 13. Notice what they say. Verse 27, and they, the group, told him, Moses, and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest, and surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. So they lay the fruit there. But look at verse 28. Nevertheless, it's all that God said it was, but, in other words, they say, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Look at verse 30, though. And Caleb, praise the Lord, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. Can you imagine? I don't think Caleb just said, shh. I imagine it like this. Enough! Enough! Listen, people. Listen to this day. Listen, God has told us. Listen, he says, he still stilled the people and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. In other words, he said, God promised the land. He's going to provide the land. He's given us the land. All we have to do is go in and take the land. We are well able to accomplish anything that we face as long as God is with us. Well, you would have thought that had been the end of the story. But the reality is panic attacks go on all day and into the night as well. And Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1 reveals what takes place. And it says this, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice, and they cried, and the people wept that night. Here we go again. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Here we go. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. But not only in the land of Egypt. Now they're adding one. And would God we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us up out of this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, watch it, here it comes. Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. In other words, they're saying, we don't trust the God who delivered us, who fed us, who protected us thus far. We don't trust the God who has never broken a promise to us. And by the way, we don't like his leaders. We don't trust God, and we don't trust those leaders. Let's get a new leader so we can go backwards. You see what's happening? You see, because they fail to remember God's goodness, they forgot what he had done. They were fixating on what they wanted, but they were focused on fear. And so instead of moving forward in the land of milk and honey, they said, let's get a captain. Let's go backward. Are you kidding me? That's not God's plan. Rather than focusing on his promises and provisions, the people decided to let fear become a factor for them. And thus gratitude was the furthest thing from their hearts. But folks, I say, let God be true and every man a liar. This world doesn't want us to celebrate or to be grateful for God. But can I tell you, 
I owe nothing to this world. I owe everything to God. So the last thing that I see, the last thing that I see is that when we try, that our gratitude suffers when we try to fit in with the world. When we try to fit in with the world, our gratitude suffers. Look down at verse number 34 because if you remember in Psalm 106, that if you read it and you'll understand, God tells the children of Israel that when they get in the promised land to get rid of all the ites, all the Canaanites, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, and, and uh, Hittites, and on and on. But they don't do what the Lord says. Why? Because over and over they don't hearken to the voice of the Lord. And so they get into the land, and when they get in the land, here's what happens. Because they didn't get rid of all the pagans, because they didn't get rid of the people that God said to get rid of out of his land that he had promised for his people, here's what happens. They got brutal pagans in there. And those pagans begin to influence, watch it, they begin to influence God's people. Look at verse 34. Here's what it says. By the way, these pagans are so wicked. These are the pagans who were sacrificing their sons and daughters, okay, to these idol-worshiping gods. And so, so they sacrifice the, their sons and daughters and they're leading people astray. astray. Look at verse 34. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. So they didn't do what God said again. And then look at verse 35. But were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. You see it? They were mingled amongst the heathen and learned their works. Verse number 36. And they served their what? Which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Verse 39, thus were they defiled with their own works and went to a whoring with their own inventions. Folks, when we try to fit in with a world that wants nothing to do with Jesus, we're making a mess. We're preparing ourselves for a big problem when we decide to fit in with the world. Listen, we're living in a time and a culture that promotes that, the in intermingling. Just, let's just all get along. No rough, don't ruffle my feathers. If you want to worship Jesus, you, you need to do that in that building away from us. Don't talk about Jesus on Monday. Don't bring him up on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. We don't want nothing to do with Jesus. I don't care that you all say that this world was, was started in Judeo-Christian values. We don't want to hear that message. We got a new history. We got a new message we want to propagate. Listen, let me tell you something. Jesus is Lord of Lords, period. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh to the Father but by him. We either believe that or we don't. It doesn't mean you have to be uh, uh, a horrible person or go out of here and just be angry and mad with people. That isn't how Jesus confronted his culture. You'll see that. When he was reviled, he reviled not. So there's a way to go about it. But we're living in a time and a culture that promotes this idea of, hey, just dress like us, just hang out with us, just act like us, and we'll accept you. But you'll never be accepted as long as you keep proclaiming Jesus. It doesn't matter what clothes you wear, where you hang out, or how you act. You will never, ever be accepted in the world. But I put down in my notes, we actually, actually ought to care more about our relationship with Jesus Christ than we do our relationship with the world. Yes, verse number 35 says that they mingled. It says they, they mingled among the heathen. And because they mingled with the heathen, it impacted their behavior, it impacted their heart, which ultimately impacted their lives. Instead of being grateful for everything that God had done for them, verse 39 says that they went whoring after their own inventions. In other words, they were chasing after other gods, little g, in idolatry. And the warning from this point is that you and I must, just like the people, we become like those who we mingle with or hang out with the most. If you mingle with the world, don't be surprised if you start thinking, talking, and acting like the world. 
That's why it is so important, guys. Listen. That's why it's so important that we understand Scripture. Yes, we're to worship Jesus Christ Monday, Sunday through Saturday, and on and on, right? But we're also not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. But even so much more as you see the day approaching. I don't know about you, but the day is approaching. Our redemption draws nigh. If you just look around, the sign of the times is there. And that's not a scare tactic. That's reality. And soon and very soon, whether it be uh, this year, next year, or in your lifetime, or someone else's, we're going to see the king. One way or another, I'm going to see the king. And so I just think that we would do ourselves a favor this Thanksgiving to hit the reset button of gratitude. That we wouldn't be people who fail to remember God's goodness. That we wouldn't forget what he's done. That we would stop fixating on everything that we want and focusing on fear. And that we would stop trying to fit in with the world. I put this down. I said, if we hang out with people who never praise or thanks God or thank God, if we hang out with people who never take time to worship God, if we, never, if we hang out with people who never seek to honor God with their lives, it won't be long until we'll be just like them. Instead of being grateful to God, we'll become something different altogether. However, I put in my notes, if we want to become more grateful people for all that God has done and all that God continues to do, then we ought to be spending time with our Lord. You say, oh, he's going to tell me I need to get into God's word. Yes. He's going to tell me I need to pray. Yes. He's going to tell me that I need to make time for worship. Yes, yes, yes. Again and again, I say yes. You're going to become just like those that you mingle with or hang out with. Proofs in the pudding. Verse number one, I close, says, Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. So let me ask, how's your gratitude? This week we'll take time to eat some food. Some of you are already probably looking forward to Friday rather than Thursday. You figured that this world's got a good deal for you down at Walmart or Target or somewhere else. I'll tell you, the greatest deal that's ever been offered to mankind is the offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. The offer of new life in Christ. So you have to ask yourself the question, are you in Christ? Because, see, there are only those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Sinner and saint. And by the way, before you get your halo on too tight, the only thing that separates sinner and saint is Jesus Christ. Your goodness separates nothing. Your service separates nothing. Only Jesus makes the difference. I think we could all do a better job of showing our gratitude for the Lord. I really believe that. This week I'm asking you, take time. Take time to consider this. Say, Lord, have I, have I failed? Have I failed to remember your goodness? Lord, have I forgotten what you did for me on September the 16th, 1980? When you saved my soul? Have I, have I been so influenced by this world that's on a highway headed to hell that, that I've forgotten what you did for my life? Lord, am I only fixated on what I want? Is it all about the Greg show? Is it all about me, myself, and I? Lord, I, I can't imagine that it, you could come back with an answer of the affirmative. Lord, it's been a crazy couple years. I'd help my fear, help my unbelief. Am I still walking in fear to a virus? By the way, if you're connected with Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, I'm not saying I want to get COVID and go see the Lord. Listen, I'm just saying it doesn't matter. The devil is running around wreaking havoc in the lives of believers because he's duped us. 
into thinking that there's something better than Jesus. And there's nothing better than Jesus. So don't allow yourself to focus. Don't allow yourself to focus on fear. Can I just say this last thing? We got to stop trying to fit in with the world. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. If you don't know him, his word promises that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, listen to me, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, just ask him, say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to change me from the inside out. The Bible says, not me, but God's word says that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, he will actually forgive you and come into your life. Can I tell you, you'll never have a lens of gratitude until you have a lens of Jesus that sees everything through his goodness and his mercy, which scripture says endures forever. We got to quit playing church. We got to quit trying to fit in the world. Oh, listen, I beg you right now. Maybe you're a believer. I'm begging you. Push the reset button. Push the reset button of the disposition of your heart. Quit worrying about everything else under the sun and put the focus back where it needs to be on the Savior of the world. Are you grateful? I pray you are. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had in your house. God, I thank you for this message. God, I thank you for your love and your goodness and your mercy that endures forever and ever. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching that doesn't have a relationship with you, that right now, not today, not later today or tomorrow or another day, but right now at this very moment that they will literally pray unto you, confess their sin and ask for your forgiveness. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Change me right now. I'm begging you. I believe you are who you say you are. Lord, I believe you hear a prayer like that. I believe from the authority of your word that you will respond to a prayer like that. Lord, I pray also for those who may have a relationship with you and need to hit the reset button of gratitude that you will do a work in their life right now in this very moment, not later today, but right now that they will commit themselves, they will recommit themselves, they will hit that button and that they will ask you to give them the strength to enable them not to, not to fail to remember, not to forget what you have done, not to fixate on the things of the world and, and walk in fear and fitting in with the world. Lord, that they will focus their attention on you and only you. Lord, I pray that you'll work in their life as well. Lord, I love you and I thank you and I praise you because you are good. And I know for sure that your mercy, your love endures forever. Lord, we pray this in the precious name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, amen and amen.